Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, national NBA writer for the Washington Post, coming from San Francisco, where I recorded a podcast Sunday afternoon with my buddy Tim McMahon, otherwise known as Ban McMahon, from the uh, conversation I would have with him and Brian Winhurst on the True Pod, now the Hoop Collective, uh, over at ESPN. Uh, Timmy came on to talk about a whole bunch of teams, you know, and he, he used to just be focused on the Mavericks, but in his new role now, he he bounces around, get, touches on, you know, not only Dallas, but uh, Houston, Memphis, Utah. Uh, he's going to see the Clippers. Um, he sees the Thunder a lot. Uh, we touched on all those teams in the pod. Uh, really interesting conversation. Uh, hit on all the hot stuff going on. David Fizdale getting fired. The Rockets on fire. Uh, the Jazz playing great without Rudy Gobert. Donovan Mitchell stepping up big. Uh, the Clippers being a disaster. And the you know the Mavs kind of resetting things with Dennis Smith, um, you know, their rookie point guard. So fun listen. Me, me and McMahon got into it a little bit as usual. Uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. So uh, without further ado, let me give me a conversation from my man, Bam McMahon. All right, Tim, thanks for coming on, man. And you're, uh, I used to be focused just on Dallas, but now obviously you're bouncing around basically the entire Western Conference, which means you are in the middle of a bunch of different stuff. Uh, the other day, I know you were in Memphis, uh, talked to Chris Wallace in the wake of the firing of David Fisdale. Um, you know, what you obviously spent a lot of time around that team given your relationship with Chandler Parsons, but what, what kind of is your take on, um, just that entire situation in Memphis and and the the moves that have gone on there recently as they try to right the ship after a rough start. Well, technically, I was in San Antonio, but geography and facts are, have never been your strength. <laughs> um, no, that, look, that's a franchise that is in real trouble right now, and they're really w- what they're doing here is they're fighting to have hope of sneaking into the playoffs, and then you know what's the upside of that you know they, they fired david fisdale and look things it was it was an eight game losing streak uh at that time obviously that streak is still alive after three more now stands at 11 and by the way hey jb bickerstaff <laughs> take this interim job you got san antonio san antonio san antonio and cleveland to uh to open things up and so uh, Mike Conley's not going to be back for another, at this point, you know, 10 days to uh, two and a half weeks is, is what they've uh, put out there as a, as a timetable. Um, Chandler Parsons, their other max player, and we, you know, you can talk about the, the value or lack thereof on that contract, but certainly still an important piece on that team. Uh, he's had issues with the right knee, which has been surgically repaired a couple times. There's been some soreness. He had a pre-scheduled trip to uh, Los Angeles, where they, I, I don't know the exact medical stuff, but he gets shots in the knee. That's part of a maintenance plan. And then you know, he, he came back against the uh, Spurs Friday night and was fine. And it was just one of those situations where he goes up for a jump shot. I, I forgot who it was, but it's the old, you know, slide the foot under the uh, the jump shooter. He came down. And so yeah, landed, on, landed on Bryn Forbes and Popovich, Popovich yanked him out of the game. And, you know, Popovich, even though he can be hypocritical at times, has to be sensitive to that given the amount of the vitriol he threw at uh, Zaza Pachulia last year with the whole yeah. Ky- uh, Kawhi Leonard situation. Yeah, no, no question, of course. <laughs> Bruce Bowen kind of is the one who uh, patented that move yes. Yes, back it was. in the day for the Spurs. But that, that's neither here nor there. So, you know, while it's not – an alarm for Parsons medically now. 
Obviously, you don't want a guy who's had his knee problems dealing with any sort of issues uh, regarding his knee and, and is the right knee, which isn't the one that ended his season last year, but is the one that he's had uh, more surgeries on. Uh, so that's not great. And then, you know, Gasol actually played well last night in Cleveland, and, you know, LeBron had to uh, really kind of turn it on down the stretch and slam the door on the Grizzlies. Uh, that was a competitive game, and LeBron just took over in the last few minutes. Uh, Gasol played his best game in weeks, but, you know, Gasol has been a, a big part of the problem in Memphis, and obviously the relationship with Fisdale just completely flamed out, and it, it became a situation where management felt like they had to choose one or the other, and, and for them, they were going to go with a guy who's been kind of a, a bedrock for that franchise for several years, over seven straight playoff appearances. Um, but, you know, Saul hadn't been shooting the ball well until last night. And, you know, for a guy who was defensive player of the year in the not-too-distant past, the Grizzlies have been horrendous defensively with him on the floor. And, you know, the on-off numbers uh, have just been butt-ugly. I mean, when I went out there and, and, uh, and wrote about this for Friday morning, so this was when the streak was staying at nine games during that streak, uh, there was something like minus 14.6 points for 100 possessions with Gasol on the floor in that streak and plus five points something without him. Now, obviously, you know, that has something to do with who's in the lineups with him and who he's playing, but still, that that's absolutely glaring. Um, and so the Grizzlies just kind of find themselves in a situation where there's a lot of people who think what would make sense is you put Gasol in the shop uh, on the on the block in the trade market. You put maybe even Mike Conley, and obviously both those guys have big contracts, but you put those guys on the block and see if you can't just completely blow this thing up and you know really start the rebuilding process uh, right now. But Chris Wallace absolutely shot that down, said there is zero chance of them shopping Gasol or Conley. And, you know, he says, you know, the way he put it is, you know, we're bringing a lot of young players along. We feel like we've got two big timers who are going to be big timers for several years. And so why will we back off that? You know, and you can look at it and say, okay, what, what's the young talent? Like you're bringing kind of fringe rotation players along. And, you know, Gasol and Conley have been really good players for a long time, but Gasol's about to hit 33. Um, you know, Conley has some, some durability issues, and he's very good, but has never been an all-star in, in a loaded West, uh, Western Conference. So I think when you talk about the upside with this team, you know, you're talking about it, uh, and it's not happening this year. They're not making the playoffs this year, obviously. But I think even in the next few years, when you talk about upside for this team, you're talking about sneaking into the playoffs and getting spanked by a Golden State, a Houston, or you know, a San Antonio, one of those type of teams. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you kind of said it best at the beginning, right? You, you look at the situation Memphis is in and what, what is the upside in what they're trying to shoot for? It's like basically being the eighth seed. Like it, it, it's such a, they're running such a narrow margin to just have any kind of moderate success at all. And that's if things go great. Like last year, those two guys were healthy all season, had maybe their two best seasons of their career, Conley and Gasol, and they squeaked in the playoffs as a seventh seed and got drummed in five games. Right, like, but, they, yeah, they, and that, and actually, you know, Conley did have that stretch where remember he had the uh, fractures in his back and he missed nine games. Yep, and they went seven and two during that stretch, and Gasol was, was incredible, 
unbelievable. I mean, he was dominant defensively. I went back and looked. They were giving up like 92.5 points per 100 possessions with him on the floor. That number uh, during this losing streak, again, I haven't updated it. In the, I got it right the here. With him on the court, they're, they're scoring 99 points a game, which would be about 28th in the league, and they're they're giving up 111 and a half, which I think would be dead last. It would be That would be dead last. Points. Right. Yeah. And, and so that's what's so crazy is just the defense is – in the toilet. Uh, and Gasol was great defensively last year. And, and that just has not been the case. And, you know, I mean, hey, losing Tony Allen, letting Tony Allen walk certainly, I think, impacts that as well. Um, but yeah, you know, they, they really, in some ways, remind me of the Mavericks for the five years after the, the championship, where you've got Dirk, you've got this loyalty to him, you want to try to win uh, with him. But, you know, what you do is you get yourself brief little playoff appearances. And, you know, whatever happens with the ownership situation in Memphis, which is another uh, mystery that will play out over these next couple months or so, you know, even if it's just a couple playoff games, boy, do they need those checks. Boy, do they need those home dates. So that that whole situation, it's a franchise that is really in trouble. And I I don't even want to say it, it lacks direction because I think the direction is just you know, trying to cling on to the, this hope of, of being able to sneak in the playoffs. But honestly, the direction right now is that thing is heading south quickly. Yeah, no, it's a mess. I mean, I you know, I, I think your comparison to Dallas is an apt one, but at least the difference there is that the Mavericks at least went into each offseason trying to swing for another star to play with Dirk, right? Now you can argue that that, that yeah. plan didn't work, but – they at least were saying, all right, we're going to keep flexibility and we'll try to be competitive each season as much as we can. And then every year we'll try to go get that guy. They almost got DeAndre. They, you know, they were in on a couple other guys. Um, but they at least had the potential for some upside, whereas these guys, they just don't – there's just they've no got, upside. They, they've got three max contracts on the books. Right. You know, b- between, between Gasol – uh, Conley and Parsons, you know, there, there's not the flexibility there. Um, you know, the the young talent. I mean, yeah, look, Dylan Brooks is a nice second round pick. Um, well, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're, that was the that was the line that made me laugh the most. With a little while I said, like, I like Chris Wallace a lot, but I mean, the last the last first round pick that the Grizzlies had that got a second contract is Mike Conley. He got drafted ten years ago. Like, right, they're, 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 their first they're, round picks have been disastrous. Yes, I mean they cut Wade, Wade Baldwin uh, a year after picking him in the first round. You know, the, the and only not, and not like at the thirtieth pick either. He was like the sixteenth, no, seventeenth, right? Yeah. Like he was a mid first round pick. Like cutting him after I, I believe, is crazy. I believe they're only young first rounder on. And look, they've traded picks. They still owe the Celtics a pick uh, coming up from the Jeff Green deal, which is like, who boy, right? And that one, you know, there's there's I'd have to look at the lottery protection. I want to say it's top eight, top. Six, and then unprotected. Uh, I believe it's two, 2019, 20, and 21, if I'm not mistaken. But I mean, it, it, it's you know that there's a very good chance they're going to give up a very high pick. Yep. For a deal that didn't pay off whatsoever and is in the distant uh, rear view mirror. And uh, Jarrell Martin is the only recent first round pick for them. That's on the roster, and you know he's a very marginal role player. And he only barely made the. And they basically he made the roster basically at the expense of Wade Baldwin. Like they were going to cut one of those guys in the preseason. Yeah, goes to keep Martin, and he's you know like their fifth or sixth big. Um, yeah, I mean it's just it, it. They're they're in ironically a similar situation to the Clippers, where they had this core group of guys for several years, and they had a really good team, but they did such a terrible job 
adding in young talent around them that as those guys started to age out, they had no one to replace. And, you know, like they found Jermichael Green, they found some minor pieces here and there, but they found they had no sustainable young guys to kind of grow that core out. And that's how you get stuck in a situation where you're, you know, when your top end guys start to fade a bit that you, you really have a chance to bottom out like this. And like the Clippers, they've got some really bad injury luck. Plus, you know, when you when you take major financial risks on guys with significant injury history, Clippers, Grizzlies, right. you know, th- those those situations tend to bite you. Boy, I saw the Clippers in Dallas yesterday. We're going to talk My about Lord we're going to talk about them in a minute. Uh, I want to ask you about Parsons, though. You you know him better than anybody, and he he has actually had a pretty decent year. Um, you know, certainly I think has been better than a lot of people hoped, you know, even, you know, even though he's not playing huge minutes, I mean, he's averaging, you know, nine points a game. Um, you know, he's shooting a decent percentage. I think I'm trying to pull it up. Yeah. I mean, he's shooting, no, 48, shooting a great percentage. Right. Shooting 48% from three, you know, playing 20 minutes a game. Um, it is, no, I, he's, I, he's been, he's been very efficient, very productive. I mean, when you look at plus minus, they've been good when he's been on the floor. Um, but no, you, you, even during this, paying, even during this streak, they're they're a positive when he plays. Right, but the problem is, it's you know he's he's not ever going to be a guy again who's able to play you know minutes well into the thirties. Well, and well that's you, what, you don't give max contracts to twenty minute per game guys. Right, like that's exactly that's what it is now. And and you know, I mean, hey, the the contracts not going away unless they decide to stretch them. Well, that's what so, I wanted. To, that's what I wanted to ask you. Do you like? I, I, it's not, he's not going to shoot 49% from three for the whole season, but like, is this, do you think this is kind of what Chandler Parsons is going forward in, in like the best case scenario that he's a guy that plays 20 to 24 minutes a night and is a solid role player. And that's kind of what, if you're, if you're Memphis, if you can get that this year, the next two years, that's probably like the realistic best case scenario you can hope for from him. Yeah. Or, or do you think yeah, that's another I, level he can get to? I mean, again, I, I just don't. Maybe his minutes get up to you know mid to high twenties, um, but he's never going to be a guy who's playing uh, you know foundation piece kind of minutes again. It's, it's just not going to happen. His, right. His knees have to be managed on a consistent basis. That's preventative maintenance, which is minutes restrictions. You know, that's obviously all the uh, other you know medical maintenance all that kind of stuff, all the things that he did all summer long, which I wrote about to, you know, kind of give himself the best possible chance of, yep. of being able to, to, to be effective this year. And, and all that work has paid off, but it just hasn't paid off at a max contract level. And, you know, he's, he's not going to be a player. You look at it and say, well, that's good value on that contract. It's just, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. You right. know, can he be a, a quality, productive NBA player? Yes, and he has been this year. But when you give a guy a max contract – you know, <laughs> you're looking for a lot more than that. But that was a bad decision by that front office. That plain and simple. That's it is what it is. Yeah, they, um, they, swung, they did it, a home it, run. They did a home run swing on a max free agent, which they can barely ever get. And you know, they hoped that he they could they could get a season or two of him being the player he was at times in Dallas and in Houston. And you know, as you saw last year, he he's just not going to be that player again health wise. You know, so that's a huge yeah. And, and last year, last year, the good knee went bad on him. Right. He played the whole year 
Baker. You know, first he wasn't clear for training camp, so he had to kind of play his way into shape. And then when he finally seemed to be getting his legs under him, he gets the bone bruise in that knee, and that, you know, turned into the meniscus that he had to get repaired, blah, blah, blah. This year, and, you know, we'll see how things progress with uh, the soreness he's dealing with now, but he has felt really good, and he has played really well. But again, he hadn't played $24 million a, a year well. Right. And, he, and he's not going to. He's right. not going to. Um, and But I'll say this. <laughs> On the Grizzlies' list of problems right now, Parsons is down the list. Yes, yes, he is, which which really, you know, that sums up in a nutshell where uh, where Memphis is at. You know, when you, when you could say that your max player, who's a 20-minute-a-game guy, is not near the top of the list, and he frankly isn't. Uh, and, and even, like, imagine, like, if Tyreek Evans wasn't having the year he was having even. Like, they, I mean, they... Things could even be far worse for them than it's been. It's kind of it's kind of crazy the, the situation they're in. But you mentioned you mentioned the the, the Clippers. You were at that uh, that Clippers Mavs game yesterday. I want to talk to you about both Oof. those teams. Uh, let's start with Dallas. Uh, Mavericks are playing a lot better recently. They've 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 started to get mm-hmm. healthier. Um, you know, obviously this is a this is the you know Cubans finally admitted they're rebuilding and they're they're you know they're they're playing Dennis Smith a lot. Um, they're going to, you know, hopefully for their sake, have a high pick in next year's draft, get another guy to go with him. You've gotten to see Smith a lot here early on. What, what is kind of your take on his first six weeks or so as a pro? You know, up and down, inconsistent, certainly flashes of brilliance. Uh, and obviously times where you're reminded that the kid just turned 20 years old, uh, you know, about a week ago, uh, he, he's got a lot to learn and he's not ready to be, uh, the starting point guard for a good team. <laughs> you know, but he's not the starting point guard for a good team. He's the starting point guard for the Mavericks. And, you know, just talking to guys around there, uh, he is willing to learn. He, you know, he listens, he, he studies, he puts in the work and, you know, the, the numbers, uh, you know, like the shooting percentages are low. The assists aren't maybe as high as you want. Although I do think he sees the floor pretty well. Um, you know, there's going to be growing pains. They understand that, um, you know, and, and he's dealt with that. You know, one thing though, that's interesting is you asked Rick Carlisle about him and, and he talks about, you know, he's got to learn to play with constant energy. Like they want him, you know, speed is great, but if you, if you don't push the ball and, and try to attack and transition, it doesn't matter. They want him to, to use that, that weapon. He does have unbelievable speed. He is uh, extremely explosive. You know, they want him to uh, get out and transition and create transition where, you know, even in times when it doesn't look like it might be there. Uh, so, you know, he's got a lot to learn. Um, but, uh, you know, people are, are very encouraged by not just uh, the progress that he's making, but by the, the approach that he takes. You know, he wants to be good and, and he realizes he needs uh, help to get there. And so not, not only is he, you know, listening to the coaching, but, you know, he's constantly picking the brain of guys like, Devin Harris, you know, Wesley Matthews, J.J. Barea. And so he's got a chance. But, you know, really the Mavericks have been, I don't want to say good lately, much better lately and had some good stretches, not because Dennis Smith Jr. has turned some kind of corner. They're at their best when they've got the the old farts on the floor. Yeah, Barea's been unbelievable lately. Yeah, Barea. We had 21-10 and 10 yesterday. Barea, 21-10. Dirk, yeah, I'd have to look. He's plus 90-some-odd. Over the last seven games, um, uh, Devin Harris has been playing. Well. The, their best lineup is Dirk with the bench guys. Dirk with JJ Barea, Devin Harris, Dwight Powell. Uh, you know who basically guards the, the better of the of the four or five, the more athletic of the four or five right. in that situation. 
those, the, it's that it's that Dirk with the second unit group that uh, has really been effective recently. And you know, it's it's Dirk with with vets who who know his game and know how to play with him. And you know, Dennis Smith Jr. is is just not there yet. And look, it, it, you know, I mean, Dirk understands that the priorities for Dennis Smith Jr. to develop and and that there's going to be growing pains and that Dirk as a player will probably never benefit from those growing pains. But that's just, you know, as he puts it, the, the NBA cycle of life. Um, <laughs> you know, in a, in a twisted way, uh, I think there's some Mavericks fans that are concerned that Dirk with that second unit's a little bit too good right now because they don't, <laughs> you know, and, and obviously that's not the approach that anybody in that locker room or on the coaching staff has taken. But, you know, Mavericks fans don't necessarily want to see, uh, See the Mavs reel off stretches of three, three wins in four games like they did recently, and you know, and that kind of thing because they would prefer to get a top five pick so you can get a you know fill in the blank whether it's Aiton or Bomb or Bagley or whatever you know whatever young kid uh, that you're fascinated by that's going to be in the draft this year to pair with Dennis Smith Jr. moving forward. Yeah, I mean they're right now in the third spot in the in the tank race, and you know, like you said, I, I'm sure. Any any Mavericks fan is hoping that they can can stay in the top five, but frankly, I think I don't think they're going to be there. Like, I, no. I, by the end of the season, I, I think they're. I wouldn't be surprised if they're in the same kind of spot they were last year because they're they're better than Sacramento. They're better than Memphis. Uh, I think they'll probably end up better than Brooklyn. They'll probably end up better than Atlanta. Like, I think they'll probably end up better than a lot of these teams. Perhaps, perhaps I would say uh, you know Memphis certainly is going the wrong direction, but when Colony comes back. I, I think Memphis will not be good, but be competitive. Um, but yeah, you know, I could see that. I think the Mavericks probably end up somewhere between five and you know where they were last year, which is nine. Right. Um, but you know what? It, it, if you can't get quality players between five and nine, then you've got a scouting issue. Right. There, there's exactly. players. There's players right. to be had there. No, they'll they'll still get they'll get somebody good. And and I, I'm with you on Smith. I think he's going to be very good. So um, you know, I, it, it, it's it's a good it's a good start for them. And look, they. Uh, you know, that wouldn't be there's going to be guys available this summer. Maybe they'll go out and get somebody this summer and it, they'll have a couple of young guys and, and flip things around quicker than people expect too. you never know. Yeah, you, you never know. I, I do. And, and look, one thing about this summer is maybe they maybe they can get somebody simply because this is not a summer where there's a lot of money. You know, I right. Mean, it, That's it, always it's been the one problem thing in the past. Dallas has had money, but so have a lot of other places and guys have had better, more competitive options to go to. Whereas now it might come down to if you have like it used to be where if you have money, you can really get in the mix for a guy just because you right. have money. But the, you know, but on the flip side of that, you know, who, if you're the Mavericks, who makes sense to spend big on knowing that you are, you know, a year, really a year in, maybe you could argue two years into a rebuilding process. Like, does it make sense to go spend big on a guy when he's not, maybe not going to match up with Dennis Smith Jr.'s window for when he's really ready to be uh, a, you know, a point guard on a winning team. I don't know. They'll figure all that out. Um, you know, Boogie Cousins is, is I think the most interesting name. And certainly there have been connections there. I mean, the Mavericks had uh, Boogie's little brother on their D league team for an entire year. That was a, very transparent favor to the Cousins family. <laughs> right. Um, you know, but Boogie's not with Fagan anymore. And so there's not that connection with Cuban. Um, I've been told by people with the Mavericks that absolutely no way would they touch Boogie. I also think that I'm being lied to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, 
you know how it is. Sometimes you're told things, but that yes. doesn't necessarily mean you believe them. hundred percent so, true. You know, true. Uh, I'll put it this way. You know, I, I wouldn't be comfortable reporting it because I my, my BS detector goes off when I hear it. Well, and, and listen, right? Like, if, if Mark Cuban is going to have a star player want to come play for his team and he's going to say no to that guy in favor of a long-term rebuild, like, I'll believe that scenario when it happens, you know? Yeah, now, of course, the argument is, well... <laughs> If Boogie is such a franchise-changing type of player, how yes. come he's going to play the playoff game? Yes. And, and, the, and look, the, the mark, I mean, this summer, the market for Boogie will be one of the most fascinating things. Um, oh, incredible. I'll tell you what, he, he, he's, been, he's been great for the he Pelicans. Was, he was incredible and, last night. That was a huge win they had last night in, in, uh, in Portland without Davis, who's banged up again. The MRI is supposed to happen, I think, now. Um, yeah, I and I, and, you know, I haven't, I haven't talked to anybody directly involved with the Pelicans, but just people I have talked to. I mean, there's concern with the Davis thing. That's yeah, it sounds bad, right? Well, they changed they they first announced it as a groin, and then they changed it to pelvis, which ugh, that doesn't 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 sound good. And I don't know if you watched it, but it was it was the strangest thing because it was just him and Favors kind of just typical jostling for position. They just um, kind of collapsed. Yeah. And there was no, like, sudden movement. There was no, like, I mean, it's not like Favors gave him a shove or anything. You know, they right. just, I mean, it was just very routine. You know, guys kind of bracing themselves, jostling for position. And then just, he went down in absolute agony, which is, I mean, it was, it was very scary looking. And so, you know, you, you hope for the best, obviously. I mean, the, the Pelicans have been, have been fun. I mean, and when you have Davis and, and Bowie going together, they don't have a whole lot around those two, but man, those two are good. Yeah, they've been and, awesome. And, and, it, and it's been, I mean, they've really clicked. It's worked well. Um, they've actually complimented each other, which I think there was some concern about. But yeah, if, obviously, if, if AD's out for a while, then I think we can kiss the Pelicans' playoff hopes goodbye. Right. And if that happens, then you start to wonder, well, does Boogie start to what, talk, make noise about leaving? Do they maybe think about then trading them? I mean, that, a lot of, a lot of stuff, uh, a lot of stuff's on the table. Then another, but to, to swing back around to the game you're at yesterday, um, you know, a team with it seems like everything on the table right now is the Clippers. I mean, I was in LA a couple weeks ago before um, before Blake got hurt. Obviously, you're in LA now to, to see a couple games there this week that the Clippers aren't there. Um, and that, I mean, that game yesterday was an atrocity. And uh, I mean, it, the Clippers are just completely off the rails. With Blake out for two months, I don't know how they're going to score. I mean, it just they're going to pull it. I think. And uh, like, oh, what, what was what was what was your take on just seeing them in the, like their present state yesterday? It, it, it's depressing. I mean, their their offense is try to get a shot up and hope DeAndre rebounds it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, it's remarkable. You know, they're relying on. I mean, Lou Williams is a nice guy coming off the bench, but when he's your your best offense player, that's not ideal. You know, Austin Rivers trying to create everything. That, I mean, it's Wesley, just, Wesley I, Donson, you look, have Montrez Harrell playing power forward, and he's a, he can't shoot outside yeah, then two they've feet. Got a, you know, they, they've got a they've got a you know G League uh, second unit. I mean, it, it's yes. it's insane how bad they are. Uh, and I mean, DeAndre is still DeAndre; he is a stud. But <laughs> you know, he's obviously he's not a guy who you dump the ball down to on the block and he creates offense. DeAndre is a dominant complementary player. Yes. If that makes sense. Yes. He's an elite, um, he's, an so, elite he's an elite role player. Right. Just just like uh Rudy Gobert, I think Clint Capella is becoming that kind of guy. You know, yep. that, that rim protector, screener, roller, finisher, rebounder. They're 
they're, you know, people say, well, you know, if you can't shoot, blah, blah, blah. No, there's still value for those guys. Uh, those guys still serve, uh, I, I think, a, a great purpose in this league and, and can help teams. But, I mean, there's no point of DeAndre being – if the Clippers don't want to keep DeAndre long-term, and, and I hear there's certain reservations there, they, they need to put him on the market and uh, and get something for him. And, and that really – at this point, that's the question for the Clippers the rest of the season. Do you trade DeAndre? Where? And what do you get in return? Well, and I, to me, there's, there's two questions, right? I mean, I've been hearing um... – I've been hearing for a while that that he he is on the block. I mean, I know that Toronto has had some conversations with him, at least from what I've heard. I've heard Milwaukee's had conversations with them. Um, you know, I'm sure some other teams have poked around too. I mean, it's because it's no secret that things were a disaster there. The the thing that I'm curious about though is I I don't really know what his market is. Um, he's making a lot of money. He's essentially on an expiring deal because his contract he has an option for next year. Nobody thinks he's going to pick up. Um, he does have an agent, which makes a kind of a, an interesting situation compared to most of these guys where you can kind of back channel stuff through the agent to find out what his interest level is. Um, and, and there just aren't many teams that, that need a center. So, you know, the fact that there aren't a lot of places for centers to go, the fact that you have to put a lot of money together to get him somewhere. Um, I, I'm just very curious to see what kind of return the Clippers can get for him. Cause I, I'm not convinced that it's going to be a lot. No, I, I don't think it is either. But, you know, can they get some kind of value? And, and obviously, uh, you know, it, it's it's can they get first round pick or picks? And, you know, what kind of picks, what kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. That That's the question. And then, you know, how do you make the money work? Obviously, they're not – it doesn't make sense for the Clippers to be taking back contracts to have multiple years. But, I mean, there's no doubt DeAndre is a pure rental. And if you're trading for him, you have to – I mean, you can hope that things go well and you can re-sign them. But uh, – no question, it's a it's a pure rental, and so that that tempers the bids. Uh, I think Milwaukee's interesting. You know, Milwaukee is a team that uh, when DeAndre had the free agency thing, they were on his short list. Uh, he he didn't meet with them, but it's because it, you know he kind of crystallized and it was going to be either uh, go to Dallas or stay with the Clippers. But Milwaukee was a team that certainly had uh, expressed interest, and you know, I don't know how much living in Milwaukee would sway him uh, in, in terms of negatively, obviously. But if you're looking at a franchise that has long-term upside, I mean, the Greek freak just keeps getting better. <laughs> and yeah. And let me, let me tell you, a, a, a Greek freak DeAndre pick and roll, you know, there's some there's some potential there. Well, when you look at the there's, guys, there's, I mean, I, I kind of wonder about the fit issue there because they, they, it'd be another guy who can't shoot for them, and that, that would maybe – you know, further issue their spacing. But when you look at who's playing center for them now, I mean, if you put DeAndre in there instead, like it gets awfully interesting really quick. Yeah. And they've got a chance to be really, really good defensively. I mean, DeAndre is still, uh, he's still a dominant physical and athletic presence. And I, you know, I, I think he's got, I don't know how many more years of that, but uh, I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. But certainly, he's got the rest of the season to be that kind of player. And uh, like I said, if, if you're the Bucks or the Raptors or whoever it is, that's what you're trading for. Yeah, no, I think I think that I think that's true. I mean, to me, the Toronto fit is fascinating to me because they they've got Valanciunas, who even though he's got a couple of years left on his deal, would give the, Cl- the the Clippers somebody they could plug in at center, who's a decent player. Um, they, they have, uh, they have a ton of young guys that can, they can package together and give them some young guys. They have their pick, which they can give them. Um, and, and to me, Deandre slotting in Deandre with that Raptors team would be fascinating because that seems like a fit 
that could really take them to potentially the next level. Because you look at their team, they're they're screaming out for a, a big athletic presence at the rim, which they just don't have right now. And you put him out there with, you know, with their with their lineups with Damari or with uh, Demar Derozan and Kyle Lowry in the backcourt, and then you know Ibaka and you know whoever they're playing, Norm Powell or CJ Miles at small forward, like that. That's a team that I think could really cause some trouble in the East if they can manage to get him there. Yeah, I, I could see that. Now, <laughs> you know, the other thing, though, is if you're Toronto, does that, like, does that push you into really being able to compete with Cleveland, with Boston? And, you know, if, if you feel like, well, it gives us a chance but not a great one, then, then how many chips do you want to put in? Yeah, I mean, that that's the balancing act. But to me, I think it would put them in right up there in that position because to me, DeAndre's a huge upgrade over what they have now. Um, cause he, he, to me is like exactly what that team needs and hasn't had. Um, so it's, uh, it, it would be fascinating to see, uh, it, it would be fascinating to see if they can make that work. Yeah. But yeah, I would, I would, I would, it certainly feels like DeAndre's time with the Clippers is, is nearing its end and, and a very sad end that it is. I mean, Lob City is, it, it, uh, it died when CP3 left and, and the leftovers, it's, it's just a disaster. You know, and look, you can talk about Clippers curse, whatever. It's just, I mean, things things got bad quick. Yes, well, and that and that's kind of the, the crazy thing about it, right? Like they they had they've had the best run in franchise history the past six years, and now you know Blake is injured, Chris Paul is gone. We're going to get to his, you know, another team you're with a lot, the Rockets, in a minute. Um, uh, and, and now Blake is hurt. DeAndre might get traded, and it seems like Doc Rivers is going to get fired at some point. Whether he's going to get fired sometime this season, which I think seems more and more likely by the day, given how disastrous the season looks like it's going to be, or if it's going to happen at the end of the season. Um, it, well, I'll, I'll say this about firing Doc, though. Like, what? Who who's going to win when you've got well, your top two point guards, right. your big money small forward, and your franchise player out? Like, what, I, what, what's I don't Doc think supposed it, to do? I don't. Here? I don't think it's. I, I don't think it's a. I, I guess I should rephrase. I don't really think it would be seen as a um, as a blaming Doc situation for the team being a disaster. It would be more like. Uh, you know, it, the last few years have been great, but we're shifting in another direction and you don't want to be here for a rebuild and let's just right. start fresh. I, I, I should be, uh, I should be, I should be clear that it's, uh, it's, it's much more of a, a situation like that than ownership or the front office going, yeah, this is Doc's fault that the team is a mess. I, I look, I think from the moment that Doc got demoted, from being president right. of basketball operations this summer, you you knew that the situation there was rocky, and it, it just feels like this is trending towards an outcome where uh, you know, and, and even being in LA, I'm sure. I mean, I know the Clippers aren't there, but I'm sure you've heard the same rumblings that just uh, you know, it's it's a rampant rumor around the league that Doc's time there is drawing drawing near to an end, uh, and the fact that they're going off a cliff is only you know exacerbating that. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. 
Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. Right. I just I just wonder if Blake's injury might kind of get Doc a reprieve. But like I said, I don't know that Doc wants a reprieve. I don't know if he's yeah, he left Boston because he didn't want to deal with rebuilding and, and you know, now it's clear that that's what it's going on with the Clippers. Yeah. I no no question about it at all. No question Clickety about clack. it. <laughs> that's right. Um you uh you you you're gonna be with the Rockets here for the next week. Um you know, they've obviously been unbelievable this season. You know, even even with Chris Paul out, James Harden was playing yeah. just as well as last year. And then uh, I don't know what the stats are most recently, but I, I saw your tweet the other day that over a few games to Chris Paul back, I think he'd had 65 assists and seven turnovers in seven games. Yeah, that, that like that. Numbers, yeah that was his numbers for the season. And haven't updated that. Uh, they played one more game. But, no, the, the, the assist-to-turnover ratio for him is, is absolutely uh, unbelievable. Um, and you know, the, the thing about them, uh, you mentioned they were, they were unbelievable while CP3 was recovering and they right now are very good with Harden and CP3 on the floor together. Great when CP3 sits and great when Harden sits. So the process of CP3 and Harden, you know, kind of figuring out how to make each other better, how to kind of, how to mesh. And, and really the big adjustment is for CP3, you know, learning how to play off the ball, learning for the first time in his life, how to be a, a complimentary player instead of the guy who uh, creates everything and makes everything happen. Th- that's continuing. And how about those guys on the floor? <laughs> I mean, they've been very good. It's just that they've been ridiculously good uh, when it's been one or the other. Um, and I mean, look, CP3, when you put him on the floor with <laughs> Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson, usually it's like Nene and, and, you know, either Mba Mute or Tucker or whatever against second units, it, it's unfair. They absolutely just eat up second units. And, and Harden right now would be my MVP. He's better than he was last year. I mean, the, the, uh, and, and we'll see if it, if it continues, but. James Harden being a lights-out shooter on a step-back three all of a sudden is just not fair. He was already the best one-on-one player in the league. And now, you know, you, you switch a big on him, and he just, oh, great, that's an open invitation to shoot the step-back three that he's, he's, he's making like a 50% clip. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. They're really, really good. Uh, they're going to be a great offensive team. And, and how good they are defensively will determine whether they can, you know, be any kind of a real threat to the Warriors, but you know they've been they've been solid defensively. I mean they are uh, their their goal is to be a top five team defensively. I think that's a little bit optimistic, but they uh, you know they've been pretty good. Yeah, I mean it's it's all they have to do is be pretty good, right? Like they don't they don't have to set the world on fire defensively. I mean if you if you'd have said before the season that they were going to be a quarter of the way through the season and tied with the Warriors in defense, uh, I think you would I think you'd say that's that's far better than anybody would have ever expected. Houston. Right. And, and look, when, I mean, they can be a, I think they can be a 60 ish win team by just being good defensively. But you know, when you talk about the Rockets potential, it, it really, and, and every move Daryl Morey made this off season, especially when you talk about getting Tucker and Bob Mute for the bench, which have been two great 
uh, additions. Obviously, yeah. swinging for the fences with CP3, it's all about trying to close the gap with Golden State. And if you're going to compete with Golden State, if you're going to you know really put up a fight in the series and have a chance to pull off what you know would still be considered a pretty big upset, then you've got to be really good defensively because obviously the Warriors have as much firepower as any team that we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean it's it it has been incredible to watch them, and I mean we were we were at you know practice the day before the Warriors Rockets game to open the season, and like that Tony was just flat out like, yeah, we should we should have won sixty last year, we we should win sixty this year. Is this kind of typical you know D'Antoni just you know not caring about what people think and just you know stating his opinion, and you know the the Rockets have come out and been every bit as good as he said that he thought they could be, and you know you look at them. You know, through twenty-one games, they're they're on pace to to win. Uh, you know, a million games. They should. You know, bar. You know, even with Chris Paul missing a bunch of time, I mean, they're they're still on pace to win. You know, well north of sixty games. And you know, they they look to me like they're clearly the second best team in the NBA. And you know, I I, I hope we get a Warriors Rockets Warriors Rockets Conference Finals because I think it would be a real slugfest. And with their with their offensive firepower. Um, it does feel like they have a chance to. Um, it, it does feel like they have a chance to uh, to to really at least give Golden State more of a series than I think anybody came close to doing last year, and I think anybody else could come close to doing this year. Right, and and look, obviously, a lot of it depends on you know did the Rockets get hot, but if Gordon Anderson in particular are hot shooting the ball, you know they're gonna they're gonna launch a ton of threes, and I mean they're capable of. I mean, I sat there, and again, it was the Suns, but CP3's first game back, I sat there and watched him score 45 in the first quarter and then match it in the second quarter. You know, Harden's capable of, at any time, going off for 50. Uh, you know, CP3's capable of, of, you know, putting up 15, 18 assists with, you know, without committing turnovers. Uh, I mean, they it, it's a really good offensive team and so far has been a very good uh, defensive team, not not great, but very good. And what's interesting to me is I think the Warriors and and maybe the Rockets will push the Warriors to kind of get it out of cruise control because you know I, I think that it's going to be legitimately interesting to see if the Rockets can't sneak out with that number one seed. If you ask and, me right now, I think the Rockets will be the number one seed in the West. Right, and then so you know that doesn't guarantee anything, but certainly you would prefer to have home court advantage versus not having it in the Western Conference Finals. It, you know, it, it ticks up your chances uh, of winning that series a little bit, and I think perhaps more importantly than the home court advantage in that series is it means the Rockets wouldn't have to see the Spurs, assuming the Spurs would be the third seed in the semis. Right, and they, and, they want nothing, and they still want nothing to do with them. No, it, it, you would much prefer to see whether it's, you know, I don't think, I'm looking right now. Any of those now, other teams, Denver, yeah. Minnesota, Portland, OPC, whoever. whoever. Yeah, you would much prefer to face any of those. It's like Golden than, State last than, year. Golden State, Golden State had, I, I can't even remember who they played in the second round now. Um, but they, uh, you know, they, they, they avoided that. You know, there were those three teams at the top of the West, and they avoided them. Oh, they had Utah, right? Of course. Yeah, they had Utah, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you know, and like they, even though Utah was good, they avoided that Houston, San Antonio. Yeah, and, and they Utah, they, they came into the conference finals well rested and ready to go. Right, and and they they played a really banged up Utah team. Rudy had the knee that he hurt the previous series. Yep. George Toe. Had the hill or the uh, George toe. George Hill <laughs> had the toe. By the way, right. boy, things are going swell for 
him in Sacramento, man, good thing Jeez. he turned down that extension offer from the Jazz. What a mess. Yeah, but yeah, avoiding San Antonio, I think, is just as valuable, probably more valuable for the Rockets in terms of getting that one seed than uh, than even the home court advantage in the West Finals would be. Yeah, I mean, they've got, even though Chris got by them once, I mean, the Spurs have a psychological hold on both of those guys. So, Well, and, and, and Pop and D'Antoni, you know. <laughs> that, I didn't I mean, even think about that. Yeah, he's certain, that's would factor probably, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. He, I'm sure. You know, he, he's probably had some, you know, nice nights sipping wine with Pop over the years. But I don't think he wants to see him in May. No, I think there's little doubt. Uh, I think there's little doubt about that. Um, uh, let's let's wrap up with with the Jazz, uh, the other team you spent a lot of time with. I know you're going to see them this week. Um, you you were tweeting your uh, the as the guy as the guy who's the uh, official arbiter of the Colonies factor. Hey, the uh, kids got him. Donovan Mitchell with 41 points the other night. You you kind of blessed him with that. Uh, bless him with that characteristic the other night. Um, it, it's been, to me, I've been so happy for and impressed by uh, the Jazz with the way they've played without Rudy around. I mean, there there was a lot of people around the league who thought the D.I. Wages play with him was kind of dirty. I, I, I don't really know if it was or not. Well, Count Rudy is one of those. I know, I know. Rudy clearly was one of them. And it, there, were, there were a lot of people who agreed with him when I talked to. I mean, it was kind of a split 50-50 well, opinion on it. He he throws a cross body block into Rudy's knee, and the ball's about eight feet away. So you know, no, you're totally right. I mean, it, it was at, at minimum it was a weird play. But anyway, when he gets hurt, you think the Jazz are in huge trouble. You know, yeah. they're already under 500. They're, they're now Rudy's hurt. He's going to be out for a month. Things look like they're in real trouble. And then you know now they've won five in a row. They're scoring a ton of points. Um, their offense has been great. Mitchell. You know, still not very efficient, but has, you know, especially for a rookie playing big minutes on a team that's trying to win, he's playing really well. Um, you know, Rudy should be back, I think, pretty soon, you know, next within the next couple of weeks, hopefully. It seems like he's already yeah. doing work. Um, what, do you, what do you think has been the biggest reason they've been able to kind of not only hold water, but, you know, be able to climb back up the standings and now be back in a playoff spot, um, even while trying to deal with him being out? Well, Suddenly, things are really going well for that team offensively. And Donovan Mitchell, obviously, hey, Gordon Hayward's gone. They've got – they're growing a go-to guy. Uh, the kid just scored 41. You look at the list of active players who've had 40-point games as rookies. It's really good company. It's talking about LeBron, KD, Melo, uh, Blake Griffin, Steph Curry, Eric Gordon, now Donovan Mitchell. Now there's also guys like Brandon Jennings and Roddy Dubois who are overseas now that did it. But still, you know – uh, he's got absolutely no fear. He's got unbelievable athleticism. I mean, go check out the highlights of some of the dunks. You know, well, the, the, cra- the crazy thing about that game, watching the highlights of it, was most of those baskets were him just driving past people to the rim. It wasn't like he was yeah. making shots. He was just getting by Although guys. He, hey. Not saying he couldn't make any shots, but I'm just saying, like, I give him credit because, like, you, you can't even say, like, it was – I just mean, like, it wasn't like he hit 12 threes or something. Right. Well, he hit, like, he hit six of them. He but, did. But, no, but, but, but late, a lot of it, but was, late just, it was just him carving them up. That's what, that's what I mean. Like it he, wasn't. Yeah. It was like they knew he was coming. He was still blowing by guys to the rim over and over, making the same move, and they couldn't stop it. That was what to no. me really stood out. It was it was like wow, you don't see a lot of rookies in that kind of a spot. You know, going to you know like hey, I got this move, trying to stop it, and just not having the other team not be able to stop it over and over. And no, he he's extremely explosive, athletic. He's got that six ten wingspan. Uh, he he has skills. You know, he 
he's really I mean, you know, talk to players around. I've I've heard like like James Harden brought him up unprompted a few days after they played. He didn't even play that well against the Rockets. But you know, Harden talking about how much uh, he likes his game. I mean, he's going to be a go-to guy, and and you know what? He's becoming that more and more every game. But the other things, uh, Alec Burks, who has had all kinds of injury problems and just kind of been an afterthought. Uh, for the last few years, you know, that's a former first round pick who's got some athleticism and he's lit it up these last couple games. You know, if you've got his score and his ability to create coming off the bench, you know, that's an element that they've been missing and can desperately use. And then Derek Favors has looked like the Derek Favors uh, who people thought was going to possibly get a big time ex- extension last year. You know, he, last year was a mess for him. He was never healthy. Uh, he's healthy now and he's been really effective playing center, which obviously he's not going to, you know, he'll, he'll get the backup center minutes, but he's not going to be the starting center, obviously, when Rudy comes back. So uh, the spacing when you have favors and, and Rudy on the floor together, it, you know, there's always going to be some challenges there. When you put Rubio on the floor as a starting point guard with that group, it's been hideous. I question whether Ricky Rubio should continue to be the Jazz's starting point guard. They made the move to put Mitchell in the starting lineup, but they put him at the two guard. Mitchell has been playing uh, point guard minutes when Rubio sits. I question whether they, they don't just, when, when, especially when Rudy's coming back, go ahead and hand the reins to Donovan Mitchell and say, this is your offense, this is your show, kid. Uh, and that's one way to alleviate some of the spacing concerns that, that come with playing uh, two traditional bigs together. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, certainly one, that's certainly one potential option. Um, I would, it would be interesting to see... Um, to see what they do there. I mean, my, my guess is that they probably would have, you know, would still have Mitchell either playing off the ball or coming off the bench and then um, maybe close games with him and keep Rubio starting would be my guess. But yeah, because the there's, way, a, but, there's, the, no, go there's ahead. the fear of losing Rubio, but Rubio has been horrendous. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, his numbers are, his numbers are down across the board. He's not shooting the ball. Well, um, you know, not, not that Mitchell shooting the ball. Great, but he's at least, a credible threat from three in particular, uh, which... Well, Mitchell got off to a horrific start shooting the ball, but I think if you look at his numbers uh, in the last month... Well, he's up to 37% from, he's up to thirty-seven percent from three, which is more than good enough. I mean, Rubio's shooting 30. So, you know, if you're yeah. shooting 30... Even if you're shooting 40% from the field, if you're taking six attempts from three a game and shooting 37%, um, you know, that that's pretty good. And, and frankly, like, they haven't... Rodney Hood is like again had some weird injury stuff go on and yeah like if they can even get him going again fully like he he's a, he's averaged 17 a game and he's been in a starting lineup and had some you know weird stuff go on and and he's you know he's he's played well when he's been able to play so if they can keep him on the court um joe johnson's been in and out of the lineup with the wrist injury i mean they've they've had to deal with a lot of stuff and they still managed to try water so i i think when you look around the west like people kind of wrote them off when gordon hayward left but I thought before the season they were going to find a way to make the playoffs, mostly because I thought their defense was going to be awesome and they would kind of grind right. the 45 wins. But the way it looks now, I, I think they're clearly one of the eight best teams in the West. And as, as long as Rudy comes back and is doesn't have any more issues, I, I really don't see a way they don't make the playoffs now. Yeah, I mean, look, Joe Johnson's barely played. He'll be back at some point, and, and certainly uh, that's another guy who 
can give you some offense. You know, Rodney Hood, we'll see uh, his health issues. Unfortunately, he hadn't been able to stay healthy really for the last couple of years. And, you know, he was the guy who they hoped could kind of take this quantum leap forward. Uh, it's, kind of ama- it's kind of amazing that Mitchell has kind of stepped into the, the role of times that they thought Hood was going to be in. Yeah, but, you know, I thought they'd make the playoffs because I thought they'd be really good defensively and because I think Quinn Snyder is one of the most underrated coaches in the Terrific. NBA. He's a terrific coach. So good. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, if they are indeed a playoff team, especially with Gobert missing as much time as he has, then I think Quinn Snyder's got to be a legitimate coach of the year candidate. Uh, you know, Brad Stevens obviously is looking really good. Yeah, he's, he's probably he's probably in the also rank category behind Brad Stevens. But I mean, I to me, there's not going to be if they make the playoffs. You know, he's got to be to me at least in the top three because he yeah. he's just done he's just done a heck of a job. And you you go back like uh, you know you go back two or three weeks when Rudy got hurt. I mean, basically everybody wrote them off. I mean, people oh, yeah. were already writing them off when Hayward left, but like when he went out, I was like, oh, they're going to lose 20 games now, and Rudy's going to come back. They're going to be out of the picture. And like, it's not like all these other teams haven't dealt with injury issues, um, and and they've still managed to stay afloat. And, you know, like you said, I mean, the, the fact that Quinn has been able to kind of change things on the fly and go from a team that was really grinding out to playing more up the tempo to scoring a lot of points, giving the ball to Mitchell. Um, and kind of letting him do stuff, which a lot of coaches would be reticent to do with a rookie. Uh, I, I just think he's done a remarkable job there. No, no question about it. And look, like you said, it's not like there's not a lot of teams in the West that are dealing with some pretty major injury issues. I mean, the Nuggets uh, with Millsap gone for the next few months, uh, it sounds like um, Jokic, Jokic won't be. Yeah, Jokic is out for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So, you know, um, unfortunately. Run, run down the list. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like I mean we'll, we'll wait and see what the uh, timetable is for Anthony Davis. But obviously, the Pelicans are, you know, if he's missing significant time, they're in big trouble. The Clippers, you know, their their season was killed by injuries. The Grizzlies, you know, the Conley injury killed their season. And, and though you know, the Clippers and Grizzlies are two teams that I think most people expected to at least be competing for one of those last playoff spots. Yeah, no, no, totally right. And and just before we go. Uh, since I don't think we haven't really talked a lot about this, I, I, obviously you're you're not far from Oklahoma City. You know, ESPN mm-hmm. has Royce Young there, so you're not there a lot, but you you see them a lot. Um, I what, saw them get their asses whooped by the Mavericks, and, <laughs> and it, it and it was stunning. It was right after they they collapsed another crunch time collapse against. The and it Pistons. was three days after they played one of the best yes. games anybody's played all season, which I was at when they pounded the Warriors at home and looked like one of the five best teams in the league. No question. And so, so, so what is your what, so what so what is your I, well, I was just going to let you kind of run with it, but what is your you know like from a scale of one to ten, where are you on like how much trouble the Thunder are in right now, and like and, I, and why? I, well, I still think they're a playoff team. the The biggest concern for me there are two two concerns. Uh, the bench is awful. Okay, and I don't I don't know if they can make little kind of quiet moves to to address that. But they, Patrick Patterson a, has been a disaster for that. Well, and, and, and maybe a move is him playing his way into shape after he had the injury issues that you know knocked him out, I believe, all the camp, if I'm not mistaken. Because I thought he was a good signing. So if he can get back to being a productive player, that obviously helps. His, but, knees, his know, knees might also just be shot because there's a reason he got yeah. there's a reason he got no uh, there's a reason he got no money um, this summer, you know, because his knees Absolutely. the second half of last year were a mess. That's also a fair point. Their bench is a disaster, but more than anything, I mean, obviously, this is no secret. 
the Clipper or the, uh, the Clippers, the, the Thunder have been an absolute crunch time disaster. I mean, uh, the, the cojones factor is just, uh, they're deflated. It, it's a, <laughs> it, and it, it's absolutely shocking. Well, what have you that, what have you seen from Russell Westbrook? Because to me, the, the biggest issue with their entire team this year, for all the stuff people have said, that, oh, Carmelo's not fitting in and all this other stuff, to me, their biggest issue has been that Russell Westbrook hasn't been nearly the same player he was before. And like you mentioned that Pistons game, right? They, they're down one with yeah. five seconds left. The ball gets thrown into Russ 25 feet from the basket. He takes a dribble and shoots a crazy fade in, a leaning in 25-footer that misses. That yeah. you know, Royce Young accurately tweeted after the game, people are going crazy about Russ taking that shot. Well, people loved all those shots that he made last year, and they were all the same shots. And he's right. He made a million of those crazy shots last year. They won all these games they should have won in crunch time. And he was incredible and won the MVP because of it. You were at the game in Denver when he made that ridiculous 35-footer, oh. one of the yeah, craziest 35, shots I've yeah. ever seen. And now this year, yeah, he's a been game awful. game-winning 35-footer. Right. Yeah. No, and, and like this year, well, he just doesn't look the same player. And I think that's the biggest reason they're struggling uh, late in these games is he's trying to do the same stuff. And whether it's his knee isn't right, he had the PRP injection in October, whatever it is, he doesn't look like the same – he doesn't look like the same guy, and by extension, when he's trying to do Superman stuff late in games, it's not working, and then they're losing. Well, his knee looked okay whenever he was absolutely dominant and an athletic freak against the Warriors. I know. But, I mean, clutch time in games that have been within five points in the last five minutes, they're 2-9 and nine this season. Only the Mighty Mavericks at 1-11 or worse. They're plus-minus in, in clutch situations, minus 49. That's 10 points worse than any other team. They were second Crazy. in the league last year. You know, they were they were plus uh, I want to say seventy six for the season last year. I mean that was the the best thing that they had going for them. And last year it was real simple. That was Russ's time. Like it was Russ and play your role. Okay, you knew it was Russ's time. Uh, this year I think there has been a feeling out process because you've got two guys who are used to being you know having the ball in their hands in those situations. Although <clears throat> Paul George has still never hit a game winning shot. Um, but I, so I, I think early in the season, I, I think there was kind of a feeling out like, okay, this is weird. This is awkward. And, and I really felt, felt like a lot of times Russ was being, uh, too deferential and, you know, then you, you flip that around <laughs> and, uh, when, when Russ is, you know, just the barfing up the threes, and I know he hit a lot of them last year and, and they were great then, but I feel like when Russ has been aggressive it's been counterproductively aggressive you know just taking bad contested threes i'm looking at his clutch numbers right now uh in in 41 minutes he's three of 15 from three-point range Brutal. Brutal. three of 15 from three-point range and you, and you know, know what just... he's not gonna stop shooting them <laughs> he's... no but i would i want i want russ attacking and look paul george uh now it's definitely it's definitely it has shifted to you know Russ is 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 still the guy trying to do everything now he's jacked up thirty three shots in those forty one minutes Paul George has really kind of been a non factor he's four fourteen from the floor in, in, in those forty one minutes you know Carmelo has been awful four of twenty you know it's funny he's hit he's one of nine from three do you remember the three that he hit I uh, I feel like a, I should but a, I shouldn't. It was a it was a classic Russ crunch time takeover 
performance. He was great for the last, whatever, three, four, five minutes. And then he creates and I'm like, he'd scored. I don't remember how many points, but you know, it was, it was Russ being the best version of Russ. And then he kicks it to Mello in the corner for a go ahead three. And then Wiggins hits that 35. Oh, that's right. It was that game. That's right. That's right. They've had so many many moments where you feel like, hey, they figured it out. Like halfway through the Celtics game, they're up by 18. Then they implode. They go on the losing streak. Then they blow out the Warriors. Like, hey, all right, they figured it out. Then they they lose that game to the Pistons. Then they get blown out by the – by the by, the Mavs the game you were at, then they go to New Orleans and uh, uh, one, of the, one of their stars by the playing, or one the of Magic, their, right? The boogie got thrown out, and then they uh, they still lost, and they got blown up by the Magic. Yeah, it, they, it's just been a very weird season for them. But uh, no, I, they, I, I they've think they've had some be ridiculously okay, bad. No, I I think look, and I always I always bring up the Super Friends, the the Heat, <laughs> and remember they were nine and eight at one point. I remember they were nine and eight, and they came through uh, Dallas. And and they lost, uh, and LeBron like bumps Spolstra on his way back to a huddle, and there was all kinds of drama. And obviously, they figured things out. They didn't win the championship that year, but you know, they they went to the finals four straight times. I don't think the Thunder are nearly that kind of talent. I I don't think that they're a team that's going to be left standing for the second round of the playoffs. But I do think they make the playoffs. You know, another thing we talked about how bad things have been for them in, in crunch time, and you know, the Russ Paul George Mello thing. They're the worst clutch defensive team in the league, which is crazy because overall they're a very good defensive team. Their defense rating in crunch time, 137.3. That's hard to do. Yep. Yep. It's not, uh, it's not easy. It's not, uh, it's not easy for sure. Um, all right. Well, th- thanks a lot for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Uh, before, before you go, let people know where they can follow you and if you've got anything coming up that they, uh, or anything that's come out recently that you want them to check out on ESPN.com. You can get me on Twitter at ESPN underscore McMahon. Obviously, you got to listen to the Hoop Collective every Friday. Wendy's on paternity duty. They actually let me take the wheel. Wow. Um, Look at that. I know. Yeah, I'll tell you what. They act like it's rocket science, too. <laughs> and, you know, just, just hit up ESPN.com. Had a, had a story on Gasol and the whole situation in Memphis last week. I'll have some other stuff coming up that I'm excited about, but I don't think I'm supposed to tease stuff before it actually hits the website. Makes so sense. just keep an eye out there. For sure. And congrats to Wendy too on that. Um, thank, thanks again for doing this though, man. And I will, uh, I'll see you down the road. I would say always a pleasure, but that would be a lie. As it, as it would. Same for me. Talk to you soon, man. See you, man. Thanks again to Timmy for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate him stopping by and talking about the league and all of his various teams for a little while. Um, be sure to go follow him on ESPN.com. Check him out on Twitter for his snarky tweets and uh, whatever he's got to say about the Cowboys each week. Um, fun follow, fun guy, uh, really good writer. So definitely check out his work. As for me, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, in the pages of the Washington Post, on our website at WashingtonPost.com slash sports. Uh, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you get it, whether it's Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, Radio Public, wherever else you get it. Go check it out. I uh, really appreciate the the rating and review. It helps us out a lot, so thank you in advance for that. Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, Glenn's the NBA editor at the Post, real good dude, good friend of mine, big Mavs fan, uh, and he also has a great band, and people really have enjoyed the music on the podcast, so go support those guys and, and check out their stuff. 
Uh, also, go check out our other podcasts at the Post, uh, stuff like Constitutional, the new podcast from Lily Cunningham, who was the the you know the visionary behind Presidential, which was terrific. Uh, Can he do that? Which is about the daily goings on with President Trump, uh, as well as the finished football beat, uh, which my former editor Mike Hume and a couple other guys do a great job with. So definitely go check all those out. Uh, thanks again, as always, for for listening to the podcast. We're going to have another one coming out on Wednesday, and then hopefully one more later this week, depending on logistical stuff on a, a trip I have coming up that I'll probably talk more about on Wednesday. So, um, but until then, thanks thanks as always, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to y'all again soon. 